Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast. It is our hope that the stories on this podcast encourage you to chase after whatever your outdoor passions may be. On this episode, I get to speak with Craig Meyer. Craig is a great guy and has a passion for the outdoors and sharing it with others. Craig and I chat about hog hunting in Texas and some of the challenges that he faced making the transition from hunting in New Jersey to Texas. We have never talked about hog hunting on the show, and I figured it was time. I enjoyed having Craig on the show, and I'm certain you will feel the same. Unfortunately, Walter was unable to join this conversation due to prior obligations, so I'll be going solo on this one. Before we get started, I would encourage you to check out one of our partners of the podcast, the Sportsman's Alliance. The Sportsman's Alliance is a group dedicated to protecting the rights of hunters and anglers. They do their best to make sure we are informed about current issues and ways we can help. If you get a second, check out their website or social media pages. Also, check out our social media pages. You can find us on Facebook at Chasing Tales Outdoors Podcast, and be sure to join our closed listener group, Chasing Tall Tales. Our Instagram page is Chasing underscore Tales underscore Outdoors underscore Podcast. We post a bunch of information on our social media pages, keeping you up to date on what is going on with us and the podcast. Speaking of that, if you haven't signed up for the Chase and Tails Yakin' for Bass Challenge and are planning to, please sign up so we can get a better idea of how many people are going to be a part of this challenge. I'm really excited about getting a chance to fish against the listeners of this show and other podcasts like Southern Ground, Southern Outdoorsman, and the Whitetail Distraction Podcast. And how could I forget Greg Godfrey from Tethered? Well, that's all I have, so let's jump to the episode with Greg. Guys and gals, I am super excited, and not just because I got a new headset in for this recording. On the line, I have the deer slaying, turkey slaying, hog slaying, Mr. Craig Meyer. Craig, welcome to the show, and how are you doing? I'm doing great, thanks. It's uh, good to be on here. I appreciate you having me out. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming on. Uh, well, we're we're into turkey season right now. How is your turkey season going? Well, it's, it's funny to ask. Um, historically, you know, I, I lived up in New Jersey, and people don't think of that as a um, you know a big hunting state. But where I was at, um, anyone who knows me or has come to visit from all over the country knows that um, we were loaded with Easterns, and we were getting on birds over and over again every single day. Um, I was used to taking several toms on film up there, and it was just having a blast. Those Easterns, they just responded to calling really well, and for those reasons, I had a lot of people coming in to visit and hunt with me and get them on birds, uh, as well as getting to, you know, get on the birds myself and punch, punch tag. But um, now that we've moved down to Texas, um, you know, I thought moving down here, we, you know, we'd be back into Rio's all over again and be loaded. My experience has always been South Texas gone down to visit friends in South Texas, hunted their ranches, and we were just, you know, just covered in birds. And then where I moved here more centrally uh, in Brazos County, um, birds are non-existent. Um, they don't even have a season for them. If you see one, you can't even legally kill one. And uh, I mean, I've yet to see one. Everyone says they attribute that between the number of fire ants killing the nest 
and the young, you know, Colts, and also the Hogs probably going after the eggs. But tried to reintroduce them through NWTF here in Brazos County, um, surrounding counties, uh, unsuccessfully, unfortunately. So for those reasons, I've had outsourced. And actually, uh, Sunday night, I'll be driving up to uh, north central Kansas to meet up with one of my uh, really good friends, uh, Tony Depache. And he, uh, he thankfully invited me up there. Uh, to hunt some birds on uh, some loaded farms, so I, I can't wait to get up there. Oh man, I'm sure you're looking forward to that. Uh, I've actually oh, been out big time. been out to Kansas myself, but it wasn't for uh, turkey hunting. It was actually uh, on a deer hunt uh, in oh, a place yeah. called I think it was Wakarusa, Kansas. It's kind of near uh, Topeka. Uh, what area are you okay. going to be yep. uh, hitting yep. up in Kansas? I'm going to be up. Um, I guess the closest city would be in Manhattan. Um, okay. I know that's where, that's where Tony's flying into. I'm driving up there. So it's just pretty much a straight shot up for me. It's going to be about a nine and a half hour ride. Um, and then, uh, for, fortunately enough, you know, we're able to shoot a couple birds apiece and we'll be filming the hunt and, uh, you know, be shed hunting as well while we're up there. Cause that, that property just got just so many Boone and Crockett Whitefield all over. So. Yeah. I've heard that, uh, Manhattan area, uh, is like loaded with deer or big, big bucks for sure. That's one of the, the bigger areas yeah. of Kansas. So that'd mm-hmm. be awesome. Okay. Well, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, man. Well, I'm quite certain a few of our listeners know who you are, but for those who do not, could you give them a brief bio on yourself and um, maybe mention how you got into hunting? Sure. Uh, so I'm Craig Meyer. I'm originally from New Jersey. My dad got me into hunting, you know, as early as I could walk. Uh, I know. I remember back to being four and five years old, dragging deer out with my dad, you know, uh, behind our house. And uh, he was an avid hunter. And, um, I, you know, thankfully he was a good dad and sacrificed a lot of ha- good hunting time to bring me out there and get me into it. Because I know, looking back, I definitely screwed up a lot of hunts for him and limited where he could go and what stands I could sit with him just to be able to pass on that gift, you know. And, uh, I, you know, I'm forever grateful for that. So just telling my mom, you know, I just... Uh, I became, you know, almost obsessed with hunting and, you know, just furthering myself and in, in, in hunting. And I used to watch all these uh, TV celebrities and people that did hunting for a living, and that was a dream for me. You know, it was just something I, I didn't think I could, you know, that was you know, attainable. But, uh, you know, I got to college, and, and I met up with a handful of, you know, who are my best friends now. And we, you know, before this whole hunting and TV thing got really big, we said, huh, you know, let's start filming our hunts. So we took out some personal loans from the bank and we invested in some camera equipment. We started pretty much doing like the attic ride, like filming our hunts. You know, we were filming the cassette tapes in standard depth and, uh, you know, just chopping stuff together on the computer. And um, we put together DVDs each year and it was called Outdoors Addiction. And that's really where it starts. You know, we start pretty much selling DVDs out of our vehicles and small little trade shows locally in New Jersey, Pennsylvania area, Delaware, and, you know, uh, growing into it a big group of guys that were doing that and then after it got uh you know decently successful uh we got cherry picked by people who had their own shows um i went to a show called wild addiction and that that was through tim roller and that ends up rolling into whitefield journey that's out there now and then the, the rest of the guys went to um trent cole's show the blitz and they still do stuff with him now and so we kind of parted ways and we're still best friends but we still you know we obviously went really different directions and then um, after some time there, uh, I linked up with uh, Nate Hosey from Headhunters, and who's one of our really, really close friends. And he, you know, pretty much over for me after filming him for a while. Uh, he opened the door to, for me to go and uh, tap into a company called Plano Synergy, and that's, that's who I've been with the last two years. Um, I do a lot of uh, content creation uh, for them, doing, uh, you know, basically social media marketing. Uh, essentially, it's the best because I get to use all their great products in hunting and make them, you know, show them how they're successful and how I am successful with them. And so we're filming our hunts constantly. My wife as well, she hunts with us, uh, you know, and we, we hunt together a lot filming and, uh, you know, switching back and forth. So that's what really opens those doors. You know, I get on with a large company like Sino Synergy, which owns uh, Tenzin, Barnett, Ameristep, Wildgum Innovations, Bloodsport. Uh, ADNX, Flextone, you know, a number of companies. And, and through that, I've partnered up with companies, you know, to meet a need where we don't make, you know, we don't make a compound both. So then I've, you know, I've teamed up with Hoyt, uh, Booth, uh, you know, just like I said, several other companies to, to meet the needs where they, where they are. So that's, that's where I'm at now. I just, like I said, I guess I've guessed it on a few other, few shows in the Outdoor Channel Sports Channel. You know, 
I'm not locked into any one show, which is really nice because it's allowed me to make a lot of really good friends in the industry that, you know, I feel are, are close to us and, you know, bounce around and just really enjoy hunting. But, you know, that, that's, that's what I've been doing. But, um, uh, really, you know, my family, we've always been based in New Jersey. Uh, I was a police officer there. Um, while traveling to film uh, a hunt in South Texas, I met my wife, uh, Julia, and we started doing the long distance thing. And, you know, I was, I was actively looking, at, you know, at, at Texas as an option to become a cop because things were just not working out up in New Jersey. Uh, for, for law enforcement, it's just very difficult up there, very sought after job. But, um, you know, during that time, I got hired, and, and I told her, oh, yep, uh, I got hired up here. And she goes, all right, well, I guess I'm moving up there. <laughs> so uh, I flew out to Texas for Thanksgiving on a Friday while still in the police academy. I rented an SUV, uh, loaded up everything she owned, asked her mom for her hand in marriage. <laughs> oh, nice. Uh, I, knew, I knew we wouldn't be back for a while, you know, and I had planned on proposing after that fact. And, you know, her mom was, it was intimidating. Her mom was, you know, she's a major in the Army based out of San Antonio. Uh, so, uh, no, no, no pressure there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, uh, yeah. So anyway, then we, then we drove back, you know, 29 and a half hours straight, uh, back to New Jersey and that SUV with everything she owned and her dog and her cat. And, um, after a little time in New Jersey, a few years in New Jersey, she just, you know, it was tough. People aren't as nice. The weather's cold. So we decided it would just be a really good family move to move down here to Texas. So I, I took a test to challenge the, uh, the law enforcement exam, and I and I got and I passed. So I got the certification, meaning I didn't have to go through academy. Then I tested here in uh, in the city of Bryan in Texas, which is great PD to work for. Love it. Um, you know, it's a great place to work. Uh, I it was, it was, you know, the only place I applied to, the only place I was interested in. So and uh, got the green light, and uh, we've been down here ever since. Wow, man, that's a uh, cool story, and it, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like you're uh, living the cool uh, hunting dream to me. I mean you're yeah. being able to kind of live out your passions and you're able to kind of document it on through some TV yeah. shows and YouTube. Uh, kudos mm -hmm. to that, man. Sounds like you've, uh, you've done really well for yourself. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it. Uh, it's been tougher now that we have, you know, our son Kate, he's 13 months now and we have a baby girl due June 7th. Um, this just been, you know, it's obviously been a little tougher to, you know, make sure I get my hunting and still be a good dad. <laughs> oh yeah. Know. I know all about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I got uh, two kids myself. Know. Oh yeah, how old? I have a well. One's fixing to be eight years old, and uh, my other, my son, will be. Uh, he's five right now, so they're getting to that age right now where I've actually been able to take them out into the woods here and there, and they, they seem to enjoy it. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, definitely next year. Hopefully, I can get a uh, a crossbow or something in their hands and uh, see what happens. Awesome! I can't wait for going to be something very special because I just I know the relationship I had with my dad and, and uh, everything that stemmed from that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I started hunting when as an adult, so I never really hunted as a kid. And uh, I mean, I wish yeah. I had because it would definitely would have helped uh, with the uh, learning curve. But unfortunately, in today's oh, yeah. world where you can, like you said, you can log on to YouTube or a podcast or whatever, uh, I've been hunting the last 13 years now. I mean, it definitely helps the uh, learning curve when you can like watch videos like yours and other people's and uh, see what they're out there doing. For sure. And you know, and that's what it's all about. And I think that any hunter, you know, when you meet another hunter, there's automatically that bond, right? You know, like it's just what it is. It's an underlying brotherhood, um, family, you know, thing. I don't know. Whenever you meet another hunter, you just have that common ground and there's a trust there. And I think that, you know, majority of hunters are good people and, and uh, at least for me right i love seeing other people be successful i love passing on you know knowledge and you know and you know soaking other people's knowledge and, and making it my own you know the best of theirs and you know you say that you know you started hunting later in life and it would have helped learning curve but uh, you know the other half that's just um, what you know about hunting and technology and, and animal behavior has come such a long way these days that you're almost in a lot of ways better off just because, you know, when you start early and you don't train or learn to hunt the right way, you develop bad habits and you do bad things, you make mistakes, whereas when you start a little later, you cut all that out because you start, you know, you're older, you're more mature, you learn the right way, you watch the right things, you know what, you know, you have more common sense. So I guess what, what techniques and what uh, learnings to actually uh, follow and use as opposed to just doing stuff and, you know, developing bad habits of shooting a bow or a gun or, you know, I don't know. You're just a little, you know, like I said, sometimes it's a little better. It is better for those reasons. 
Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I know when I started hunting early, I mean, I had a mentor of uh, my father-in-law, but he just kind of was like, here, here you go. He's like, I mean, he had his property that I could hunt and stuff. And I mean, I was early 20, 21. Uh, he was like, oh, yeah. well, I, you're just going to have to kind of learn on your own and get out there. And yeah. I definitely probably developed some bad habits early on, but I knew mm-hmm. that I needed to fix those problems right away instead yeah. of just letting it just go on and on. Definitely yeah. uh, right about that. It probably yeah. uh, adults definitely have a little bit better of an advantage uh, for sure. Yeah. It's crazy thinking back, you know, hunting with my dad when I was little and go out and he'd go in his stand and I'd go to another stand that he'd point me out to and, um, you know, not to discredit any, any of his hunting techniques or style, but just back then, like, he, I know we didn't, we were not hunting the wind. We maybe sprayed down every now and then. These were just, like, these things just didn't, they weren't known, well known yet at that time. There wasn't technology and podcasts for people to just, you know, have that word of mouth and, and uh, you know, knowledge travel really yet. You know, we had, we used to watch VHS tapes of Buckmasters and Bill Jordan and, like, Dick Idol and those guys, and there was a lot, a lot of, you know, knowledge being passed off in those videos. I don't think it was until the juries, you know, like, for a huge mentor for me or the Mark and Terry jury growing up watching their DVD from season one of Dream Season. Uh, I took so much of that knowledge and drive from them, you know, to really start filming and doing that stuff. Um, that's, you know, uh, with my dad, there were so many mistakes made and different tactics for big deer that we were hunting that, oh my gosh, if I could go back and tell him, you know, now we need to be doing it this way and hunting pressures and, you know, moon phase and stuff, you know, it, oh, I would have changed the game. You know, we're still successful, but, uh, man, it was just, we didn't know what we didn't even know back then, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I mean, I love the juries, too. And like I said, they're definitely a wealth of knowledge uh, for anything whitetail-related, turkey hunting. I mean, they've they've definitely kind of got a, a good system and got it figured out. Well, today I brought you on our show for a specific reason, and that's to talk about hog hunting. We've actually, we've never had anybody on the show talk about hunting hogs. And I'd been following you for quite some time and looking at your social media pages. And it appears that you've, uh, you've been targeting hogs pretty hard uh, on your hunting properties. But before we get started, um, I would like for you to kind of talk about your transition from hunting in New Jersey to uh, hunting in Texas, if you could. Sure. Okay. So yeah, before we go into that, you know, start diving into the hog stuff. Um, so coming from New Jersey where I had a ton of property and access and it was mostly timber and cropland, agriculture, things like that, you know, very similar, like Midwest style, uh, terrain to hunt, um, you know, deer with small core areas, um, you know, no hogs up there. There's no hogs where we were at. We didn't, that was not something we dealt with, no issues. Um, um, a lot cooler temperatures, um, deer that were more aggressive and reacted better. A lot of turkeys, um, like I said, just, um, deer were bigger bodies. The terrain was the Midwest, you know, in which I had a lot of experience in. So I come down here to Texas and it's totally different. Um, you know, there's thick brush in areas. Um, the soil content's not very great. Creeks where there are creeks, it's more, I don't know, it's, it's such a describe. It's, uh, up on the deer of huge range from where I'm, you know, I'm running. Um, uh, if you don't have a water source through your property at certain times of year, you're just not going to see life because it gets really dry and hot in the summer here. As much rain as we've gotten, it, it will dry up and become like concrete. The ground, like super muddy clay, just you know, swampy when it's rainy, and then when it's dry, it's like concrete. Not nearly as much agriculture and food and crops and food sources here, you know, just because, like, it's hotter and the soil content's not as great. A ton of fire ants, um, snakes, bugs, just it's a harsher environment for animals, you know. I know some, you know, some places they have alligators down here. I think that, you know, the whitetail hunting is just different here um, because there's a lot of competition. There's a ton of predators. There's more coyotes than anywhere I've ever seen. Uh, a lot of bobcats. I mean, it's just, like I said, the whites have a lot of competition down here. So I'm not, I thought I'd see so many more deer than are actually here, but there's just not a ton, at least where I'm at. I'm up in Central, you know, so I can't speak like I would about if I was hunting South Texas where it's loaded. Right. Um, in Central, there's, I mean, we have good bucks, you know, I have several deer on my camera that are 120 to 140, you know, touching the 50s. Um, but there's just not as many deer, you know, my bucks cover miles of range. I'll get, I'll get them days apart, all miles apart, you know, good pods of does every, you know, all over the place, but the numbers, I think competing with hogs and other things, they're just, and it's just the numbers are not here like they should, should be. I think, you know, predators have a lot to do with that. Um, 
uh, getting property in here has been a lot more difficult. People, you know, it's like 95 or 98% public, uh, private land, right? There's not a lot of public. Right. And I don't think people really even hunt that public out here. Um, people, you know, going off and trying to get on properties here. Oof. So it's probably the most difficult thing I've seen for that. Um, people pay such high dollar to try and get on a, on a lease here. And they call it like per gun, right? Like that's a person that you're paying per gun. And okay. people are paying like four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten grand to get on these different leases here in the good in the good counties, you know, um, that are sharing of the people. And uh, it's crazy, <laughs> you know. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, I know some guys yeah. in Florida that go out there and pay those prices. Uh, I mean, it's it yeah. really is. I'm like, whoa, how much are you paying to hunt some of these uh, know, properties? I'm like, whoa. <laughs> Uh, and like I said, some of them, they've got like quality deer. Cause I've actually, I've actually been out to Texas, uh, three different times. Uh, yeah. and a couple of times was like in the central part of the state. Um, I think it was Mason, Texas. And the other mm-hmm. part was kind of near the uh, panhandle and you're kind of right. I mean, in the central part, like I said, y- you'll have some 120, 130 class. I mean, my, my father-in-law, he killed, I believe it was like a 145 while we were out there. That's a really good um, year, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was a stud. But he, he had been going out to this property for, uh, oh, my goodness, like almost 20 years. And he, like I said, yeah. I it seemed about every two or three years he might kill like a 120-ish class buck, depending on, like you said, the weather, because the drought out there definitely affects uh, their antler growth from what it seems like yeah. um, when we were out there one year because it was a bad drought year. and. You were lucky if you even saw uh, a 100 to 120-inch buck uh, that time that we were out there. For sure, I definitely can agree with some of the stuff you're talking about, especially where you're at in Texas, no doubt. Yeah, it's difficult. This is the first season in, oof, I don't know, over 10 years that I didn't kill a buck. <laughs> uh, wow. you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't get to hunt as much just because I was trying to get the, the you know us grounded here in Texas and get things established. But I'll tell you, like, Rifle, archery, like I didn't even, I didn't see a shooter on the hook like that. I, right. you know, that I would shoot in during the season. Well, that's got to be uh, different for you because I mean, oh. you were slaying the deer in New Jersey. It yeah. seemed like <laughs> anywhere. Yeah, I've, I've never struggled anywhere I've gone, and I struggle here this past fall. Now that I know more of uh, the behavior on these deer, um, I was just a step behind a lot of deer last year. You know, I had cameras running everywhere, and we had shooters all over the place daylighting but I was just a step behind them, you know, a week behind them on where they, I needed to be and running, you know, my stand and being. So I think this year will be a lot better. And another huge thing is to like Texas, <laughs> I guess Texas religion is feeders down here, man. Everybody's corning, you know, right. everyone is corning roads. Everyone's running a feeder that is loud as all get out. <laughs> and they work here. And if you ran those same feeders in a lot of other states, these deer would just be like getting out of Dodge, taking off as soon as these feeders go off. But, not here, man. I mean, they're on them. It's it's just enrooted, I guess, in their behavior. I guess in their minds from just years and years of people feeding and other neighbors that they hear that. And it's, it's you know they go in and they and they feed. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I know in Florida, uh, I've tried putting out some feeders in certain areas, and I'll, you can't get a big buck to come to a feeder. I mean, you can get some of the yep. younger bucks to come to feeder, but, mm-hmm. I mean, we'll have, I mean, for Florida, I mean, to get like a 120 class, 130 class on camera, I mean, is really good. Mm-hmm. But just getting them to come in to like, like almost any time, like you can maybe get lucky if you like pour corn on the ground in like a random area. Uh, like yeah. in some thick stuff, you might catch some pictures of one, but to catch one coming in uh, to that corn, like in daylight hours with you in the stand when it's like 90 degrees out and <laughs> yeah. your, yeah. your scent's going everywhere and the humidity, I mean, it's definitely difficult. So I definitely can understand the struggle. For- yeah, even like even like hand feeding them down here, you know, like corn bag out and with a track in broadcasting it, like without a feeder. Uh, even that, you can't get them regular on. It's like, it's got to be a feeder for everything. They need to know that that's going off. And they hear it and come in. You know, like I said, uh, I just, you know, I always shot away from feeders and using a feeder down here until like these last few months. And man, it's just, I guess I had to, you know, I had to get on board. We did to see the activity from the hogs and the deer and everything uh, on these cameras. You know, it's just like, all the surrounding properties are doing that. And um, even if I don't hunt over them, you know, I, I you know, I, keeping them on the property, keeping them healthy and, and getting intel on what's there. Yeah, no doubt. I think you, uh, like I said, you've, you've got to adapt depending on where you're, mm-hmm. you're hunting at for sure. Cool. Yeah. Well, Hey, that, that that's, that's uh, awesome, man. Um, I hope that, uh, you'll, 
it sounds like you're getting them figured out. So I'll probably be yeah. seeing you laying down some studs in Texas soon, I'm sure. Yeah, this fall is going to be a whole different ball game when it comes to the whitetail. And, and uh, you know, I feel so much more confident. Um, plus, I'll have a lot more time early on. I know this, this past year um, I, I spent a ton of time hunting uh, Colorado and Nebraska. Okay. Um, you know, and I spent like 17 days in Colorado hunting elk up in the mountains. And oh, then wow. I spent, I spent a week in Nebraska. And, um, so like, you know, that time that I won't be spending out there will be, you know, I'd be able to spend it out here and definitely get on to make, you know, more animals. Well, that's great. Hunting hogs. Uh, it's mainly a Southern thing because that's mainly where yeah. most hogs are. Um, and it, yeah. in certain areas, I mean, it seems actually even seems kind of popular. I know in Florida, we have uh, a population of wild hogs on my father-in-law's lease, uh, one of the leases that he hunts, and he has to deal with to- hogs from time to time. And he's actually, he's harvested some pretty good-sized hogs, I mean, upwards in the 300-pound uh, range. Yeah, it's a good one for sure. Those are good. In the area we're at, they're like, they're not a super nuisance. But like the areas I hunt, they're kind of dry. They're not swampy or anything like that. So you may have a hog kind of pass through the property from time to time. Yeah but there's like no regularity and it's not like any big groups yeah. of hog. And I've actually, or when I went out to Texas, noticed that there seems to be a pretty good population of hogs out there. I was able to take a couple of like 200 plus pound boars while I was out there. Why don't you start talking maybe about the hog population in Texas and why you pursue them? Being from the North, the idea of hunting hogs and having them and seeing them, uh, as a game animal, it's just they're very it's intriguing. You know, it's exciting. Uh, I know people up north they are like, oh, my gosh, I want to hunt hogs. And then you talk to people down here, and they're like, oh, I, you know, can't get rid of them. I'm so sick of them, you know. And then people down here are like, oh, I think that people would pay to shoot hogs and hunt them and go after them and fly and travel. But they just don't get it because, they, like I said, they've had access to hogs all their life, and it's not a big deal. Whereas up north, they're just non-existent. And it's just such a cool thing to be hunting and getting shot at. So for those reasons, you know, it was always exciting to, you know, when I when I knew it would be, move, would be moving down here, that I'd be able to hunt hogs. Beautiful as you can hunt them 24-7, 365, light, thermal, anything you want, pretty much kill them down here, gun, bow, you name it. Um, so it, it is really good for meeting a need of being, you know, wanting to hunt and get content and do stuff, uh, you know, in the off season of whitetail and turkey and all those other things. So, um, that's why hogs are so intriguing to me. And, uh, and you see on TV and people posting pictures of these like sows and piglets and other smaller hogs that they're killing all the time. And it's like, and you see these videos and they're just coming in and packed with daylight like that. And they're like, Oh, it's easy. You know, they're stupid. The hogs are stupid, but I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't have any luxury like that where I'm hunting. These hogs are super smart. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I'm hunting big mature boars. You know, I'm targeting like large mature boars. Four hogs, very you know, older in age, very dominant um, loners. You know, uh, that's what I find. So I, I'm usually setting up in areas where I think like. So it started because I was setting up cameras and bait sites and different things in areas where I think a large mature white bill would be. You know, an area that's kind of tucked away on the edge of some thick, you know, bedding area, slightly elevated with you know good access to water nearby. And that's, I think, why I started running into all these large, dominant, lone boars, because they behave similarly to older, mature, cautious whitetails. The only way, you know, I can compare them to one other animal, uh, just from my experience of hunting large black bears. Um, these large, mature boars come into bait and are, are they just, it's so similar to when I've hunted large black bears. Um, they're super cagey on the bait. They circle so wide before they come in. Uh, they're extremely edgy. They're always alone. Um, they will hang out, you know, on the fringe and look and listen for oof, sometimes 30 minutes to an hour before they really come in. You know, they don't, I don't know, my big boars that are cautious, they're, they're silent when they come in. They're always using the wind advantage. They're extremely hard to kill on bait. Extremely hard. When you're in there and settled, they're so hard to hunt on bait. I mean, I've had big monster boars that I were, that were regular every day on the bait between like nine and 10, right? Nine and 10 a night. Right. And then I hunted in, I went and tried to hunt them with what I thought was a good win three or four days in a row. And, and they just, they never showed. And I was just trying to figure out what's going on, you know? So, the, you know, the, you know, the next night, I, you know, that fourth night I was like, I didn't hunt and I let him get comfortable again. And then I checked the car during the day and boom, he came right in again. So I'm like, oh, let me backtrack. 
well, this property, the way it was set up, there was a huge flat where there was mud and, you know, and so I got, to, I kind of got to start figuring out how he was accessing it. And I followed these huge set of board tracks all the way back into the mud. And it was crazy because I could see that he had circled me like hundreds of yards out, circled this whole bait site, making sure it was cool before he came in. And so he was been, he'd been winning me like hundreds of yards away, like a big white tail would do or a big bear before coming to that bait site. So that's how I, I, and I learned that, you know, over time that a lot of these boars are doing that. A lot of times I would go and try and hunt a large mature boar with my bow close in on the bait from an Ameristep blind or a makeshift ground blind, you know, 20, 30 yards out. And these boars just, they wouldn't show. You know, they'd be coming every night and they wouldn't show and I'd hunt there. And I was in my head, I'm like, well, this isn't a coincidence now. This is four or five boars that are doing that, you know? So I changed up my pattern and it's just been so much more successful. Right, hog, right? Their senses, their hearing and their, and their sense of smell is incredible. So, so, so good, you know? And I, and I, and their eyes are not that great. Those reasons, I changed my tactics. I would set up a few hundred yards off my base site, right? In an area where I could glass in, right? Because I would have feeder lights attached to the feeder, green lights that would like ease on. Um, and that's at all my spots. What I do is I back off and make the yards where they wouldn't win me. Still having the advantage, you know, being away from where I thought they were coming from. And I would sit there and I would watch. And then, boom, they would show up. And then I would stalk in on them while they're on that pier. And I'd just really creep and taking my time, you know, getting down to wool socks, you know, or something really soft sometimes and sneaking on them. And that's how I was killing them on the feeders. Um, they were get so, you know, so comfortable once they would get in there and start feeding. Um, but I knew that they were they were definitely circling way wide around the feeder a lot. This also comes in handy, too, because a lot of times you're competing with deer coming in, and deer are really cautious as well, and they're also going to win you. But unlike a hog, they're going to they're gonna blow, right, and they're going to alarm everything in the area. And when they do that, all the hogs take off. So that's another plus to backing off several hundred yards from the feeder because at that feeder, they always know, you know, it's too good to be true. You know, feed there, but they're going to be, you know, expecting something there. So they're always going to win that. They're going to be really cautious on edge. But when they get in there and they start feeding, game on. You start making your attack on them. You slowly work in with a good win advantage, and you will get in on them really close. I mean, we've stalked up to them 20, 15, 20 yards from them when they're on that feeder just because they get so into feeding. They've winded everything. They're very confident that they're out in the open. They can see what's coming. They can, you know, smell things. So that's, that's, what, we, that's what I've done to be successful on some large boars over 300 pounds. You know, that 250 to 300-pound range is a really good mature boar, in my opinion, in, in Texas here. Um, yeah, okay. to get bigger, but... Um, you know, I'm not hunting these boar hogs where, they're, you know, they get exponentially big because, you know, they can castrate it. So I don't know if you're familiar with that. That's another thing. These these guys down here in a lot of places in Texas, will they will catch a hog alive with the dogs, and they will castrate it and raise it for a little bit, and then they'll set it back out. And what that does is when they've been castrated, it makes them just constantly want to feed. They're not worried about breeding anymore. And and instead of having a lot of testosterone and running around, all they do is feed, and they get, like, hundreds of pounds bigger. And they okay. just become monstrosities. And that's a lot of these giant, giant hogs you're seeing. People kill and hang up. If you don't look, you know, maybe just check to see if they have been castrated because, I mean, it's very obvious that they have or not. But I expect the big thing in a lot of southern states, you know, that these giant hogs are out there running around. But, yeah, I mean, these, like I said, these mature these mature boys are so similar to, to hunting black bears and big mature white tails. They're... The, uh, 99% of the time they're alone. The only times I've seen them not alone is when there's a sow in the heat in a pack, and that's when you'll see them coming in that pack, and then they're just very territorial. You know, a lot of these big boars that killed are, are uh, tusks are broken. They have huge boar slices all over their head and neck. Um, I, I have a few that are blind in, in one eye or the other. Okay. Um, they, yeah, um, hunting hogs and hunting, running a lot of truck cam videos on audio uh, and hunting the packs, I've seen they're extremely vocal. Um, once they're comfortable in an area, they're all making noises. They're all grunting, squealing. They don't try and be quiet. They just they have a lot of communication there between the, you know, between hog to hog. Um, once I can find a call that sounds really good, like some grunting, feeding, you know, noises, uh, I, I really plan on utilizing that because I just think that that technique to hunt hogs is just, is just starting to become popular and known. Um, you know, as much as it's an animal that's everywhere and just such a plague in Texas, there's still a lot about hogs we don't know because they're really smart and they're really nocturnal. Right. So, um, like I said, I'm still learning a lot about them and what techniques I, I use to kill them. Um, but, uh, you know, so far so good. Yeah, man. It sounds like, uh, you're, like I said, you're adapting, you're 
getting it figured out and starting to uh, get it done. Now, how big of an area are you actually hunting? I mean, you're, I mean, how many hogs are we talking about here? I, I, I don't really have a clue. You're, it sounds like there's a bunch of them on the property that you're hunting. So could you kind of talk about that? Yeah, I'm talking about, I think it's 400 acres, and it butts up to uh, 600-something acres. And it's got several small ponds on it. It's got creek drainages that go through it. It's got old, uh, you know, oil field little roads through it to drive around. You know, I use a flares through it, but when it rains, it gets nasty. But, but you know, obviously with having creeks and ponds and water sources and fields and stuff through it, we have a lot of hogs. I mean, there's hundreds of hogs on this property. Wow. Um, I know the property owner previous to me coming on board, uh, he has tried to trap them. And they're just too smart for it. The only hogs he's getting in there are like your like hundred pound sow or piglets or you know smaller younger juvenile you know hogs. Um, rarely do the big boys get locked in on these traps. Uh, they're just really smart to them. I've had you know bait sites set up you know within fifty to hundred yards of these same traps that are getting corn, and I have killed hogs and you know had boars on my camera there. They, they were not anywhere near the wireless cameras that were on the traps. Wow. So they just, they just, they're really smart animals. It's really good enough that it, you know, people can say what they want, but, you know, I know when you go out with a thermal and you and shoot a thousand yards, yeah, you're going to kill them. I'm, I'm talking about getting in tight on them, you know, sub 100 yards with bow or a, a rifle and, you know, making it happen. That's, that's really hunting for me. I like to use close, use close intimate encounters like that. That's what hunting is for me. I like getting in close. Even when I have a gun, I like to be within 100 yards. Right. It's a huge animal, you know, and you really got to make your shot count. That shoulder plate is absolutely incredible. It's so thick. Uh, it's just so much, so much uh, cartilage over it. Um, it's just, it's like an armored plate, and you really got to get your arrow in on an angle, uh, drive it up in there. If you don't, forget about it. It's like hitting a Mack truck with a toothpick. They're just going to take off. Even with the gun, you need to make a really good shot, too, because they'll just eat that bullet. And I'm not talking the little guys. I'm talking the big, mature boars. They're just super tough. And you just, you know, really, you know, a good, my favorite caliber that I've been using when I'm not picking up my Hoyt, I'm shooting a 308, and that 308 has just been, you know, devastating. Um, it drops them. Uh, oh, that's good. Are where, where are you? Are you trying to shoot? I mean, the the hog I shot, I shot it uh, in the neck because I, f- I knew they had that big shield, and I didn't have much experience with them. So I either heard like yeah. the neck shoot them, or you kind of got to have like a good maybe quartering angle in to avoid that shield. So where where are you shooting when you aim at a hog? With the bow, I like a nice quartering away shot, leg forward, drive it up in there. That's been the most successful for me. Um, you just you risk so much when you don't do that because of how tough that shoulder is. I mean, we use test at that shoulder when it's been they've been hanging up after the hunt five yards out. It's going in like two inches. And that's with a super heavy shaft, super heavy broadhead, ton of neck energy. Just and a fixed blade is just stopping in its track. So, like I said, you need to have that angle and a sharp cut-on-contact broadhead get in there. And with the rifle, I mean, most of the guys shoot them in the neck of the head and just drop them. Yeah, you know, if you're comfortable with that, do that. I've been putting it right behind the shoulder and making sure I get that double long shot. Okay. You know, it, it's been dropping them. That kinetic energy just drops them on their feet. Even big boars over 300 pounds, it just drops them. Yeah. Um, obviously, a front-on headshot is great, too. I'll take that if it's there. Uh, especially close range, definitely. Uh, I really like the 308. I've had them eat, you know, the 223, 243 small calibers. They're fast, hot rounds, but I've had them eat several of those rounds for going down. Otherwise, never even finding them. Yeah, I know. Uh, my, my father-in-law, he shot one with buckshot one time and hit the shield, and oh, forget about he it. He never <laughs> even found it. I'm like, yeah. he was at, he was actually out turkey hunting, and he like his third round was buckshot, and this huge boar came in uh, where he was turkey hunting at, and he's sitting there, he's like trying to be quiet, trying to get the other two shells ejected, and finally yeah. gets it in. Well, the hog kind of he knew something was up, and he started kind of yeah. going off, and he sh- he said, I I know I hit that shield, and he said he just took it like a man and just kept going. He never did find him. I was like, yeah, I was like, well, especially on like a 300 pounder like you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's a dominant animal at their teeth, you know, a really tough, super strong shield. Um, you know, it's, it's made to, you know, keep other uh, tusks and stuff from getting up in there in their vitals. You know, and we know how sharp and destructive those tusks are. Oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, plus they don't stop moving when they're on the bait. They come in, they feed, they're constantly moving and changing body direction. So it's really, you really got to make these kind of, kind of like 
see how they're moving and their body works to where, you know, when you should let that arrow go. Yeah, no doubt. And like I said, you're, you're, even if you're using a heavy setup, you still have to be, it sounds like you have to put a perfect shot in there or you might yeah. as well just kiss it goodbye. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And, and uh, if you shoot a light and not just going to be much watching it run off like a taillight and that's pretty much that. <laughs> they, they, they heal up just fine, you know? Um, exactly. I've seen, like, seen him get gored by tucks and stuff. It was devastating looking and that sealed over. And, uh, you know, you've seen them same thing with the, the uh, arrows. They just, they take it and they run and, um, you know, they don't think they love it. Yeah, they went $30. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> how do these big boars interact with, like, the deer population? I mean, I know you're trying to hunt both, and a lot of people say it's, like, counterproductive to have hogs on your property with deer and uh, things like that. How does that affect, how do these big hogs affect maybe the deer population? In my experience, when I, when I have deer come in and I'm seeing deer, I will not see hogs. I mean, if I do see the deer, I'm not, you know, the hogs won't be there for hours. They stay away from each other. My deer do not like my hogs. They don't feel comfortable around them. If there's hogs even, like, you know, 100 to 200 yards out coming in and the deer know or hear it or smell them, because these boars, they smell very strong, good, sweet, musky odor. Yeah. Um, it's like it's very unique. You know, if you've hunted them, you know, oh, you can smell them when they're coming. But when these deer know there's hogs coming, they're gone. They look back and they're just out. They're so uncomfortable around the hogs. It's just like, I don't know how to describe it. They come in there and they just take over a base set. They're just in a pack. It's very intimidating to deer. And so I, I don't have any pictures, at least in my property, in my experience, I don't have pictures of them all together. They don't um, They don't get along very well. Um, <laughs> right. So like I said, and when I see hogs, I know I'm probably not going to see deer. That's just the way that goes, you know, one or the other. So I'm out there after a big mature boar and my deer start coming in. I'm like, ah, okay, not tonight. Right, yeah, um, it's going to be a while. Or I'm like, or I'm like, okay, i got to wait like an hour, two hours, three hours before he shows. No. That's just the way it's been from my experience, and that's also what my camera show. Okay, well, how is it hunting a ground blind out there, like, this time of year? I mean, I know you said you hunted them out of a ground blind. I'm assuming it's got to be really hot if you're sitting there hunting these hogs. It's really hot. I know the fall, like uh, hunting September, October, or, or sorry, October, you know, even into, no, you know, November, that's when it starts to get, you're like cooking in there, you know. Um, we bring little mini hand fans with us and, you know, wear cloth in like a cooler if we can, you know. Um, but like I said, it gets really hot. And for those reasons, a lot of time we'll do a makeshift ground blind. Okay. Um, just, yeah, just so that, you, you know, you breathe a little more. Um, you really need to adapt your, your hunting camouflage to stay cool. Um, very breathable stuff, really light, lightweight stuff, you know, like stuff that you would wear in your turkey hunting, um, that kind of material does really well. Uh, stuff that breathes, but uh, the mosquitoes are really bad here. Um, oh, bugs yeah. are really bad. There's chiggers, so you really got to, you know, you got to spray down and counteract those too. So you're battling a lot, of, a lot of elements. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, are there any specific baits or attractants you're using to uh, lure these big boars in? Yeah, I mean, at the base, I'm running, obviously, corn. You know, I'm running, you know, uh, corn pellets, you know, in the in the feeder. And I'm also running sweet stuff, too. Um, I've been using stuff from Evolve, like the pig out. Uh, it's really good. It's got a really, you know, good smelling odor, similar to, like, um, Kool-Aid. Okay. Uh, you know, um, mixes and stuff like that works really well. Uh, you know, I will dig a hole with a, uh, a shovel. And I'll put corn in that hole, and I'll mix in the, uh, you know, the evolved uh, attractants, you know, the hog wild and the pig out and stuff like that. There's a powder form, and, you know, it smells really good, like a fruit punch. And there's, a, like I said, the uh, liquid, it's already, you know, pre-mixed, and that's also like a fruit punch odor. And that, they love that. I will put that in a hole with corn, and then I'll fill dirt back in, and that will just dig in and keep digging and digging down in that hole. Um, it makes them go crazy. If I have a powder form of anything, I will throw it into the hopper or the feeder with the corn, and then like so that'll get chucked out with the corn when it sprays. So that, that helps a lot for keeping them coming. Like I said, it's super strong odor, so you can smell it, you know, from a ways away. Um, another thing I've done is I've taken large, long PVC pipe. I've drilled small holes, you know, just bigger, bigger than the size of a piece of corn all throughout the pipe. And then I've closed off both ends and I've hooked up a cable to the one end and hooked it up to a, a piece of rebar and I've pounded them in the ground. And what I'll do is I'll fill that with corn and powder and they will literally just roll that for certain circles for hours watching the corn come out of the holes and eating it. Oh, wow. But yeah, and that keeps them fixated on that. That I can draw a bow back, stuck up on them, you know, makes the corn last longer, you know, God forbid the feeder doesn't work, you know. 
Um, and so they'll just roll that in circles for hours and hours and hours. Wow. Well, how much uh, feed are you putting out for these hogs? I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't have a clue of how much you'd be putting out or anything like that. I mean, how much does it take to kind of keep these hogs on the property and interested and in coming in? Well, we're running, we're running a good amount of feeders. You know, there's probably like seven or eight feeders right now, maybe more. Uh, as far as electronic ones go, and they all have cages. That's a huge thing here. These tru- these raccoons and hogs will destroy your motors and ever and mess with the feeder if they can get to it. Um, one of the boars I killed was literally where I didn't have a cage around it. The actual motoring device in the bottom. He he was using his tusk to rip it off and empty the feeder multiple times. Oh wow! And just just break breaking it. Yeah, he was smart. Oh, anyway, yeah. He was rearing up on his hind legs to get to it. That's how big he was. But um. So what I do is I just load these feeders up to like a 250 pound feeder and then, you know, some of the wild innovations, just, you know, the generic one off the store shelf, like 75 hours, maybe 85, something like that. You know, nothing crazy expensive. I run that on a six volt with a solar, a little solar device to charge it. And then um, I'm running two or three feeding times a day for like five to 10 seconds a piece. You can do like five, 10, 15, something like that. But anyway, I, I run a feeding time, um, for hogs, I'm running them like one at nine o'clock at night, one at ten o'clock at night, and then I'll throw one at like maybe like one or two a.m. and that's been pretty successful. And I run the, the first one's always like ten seconds, but it has a good amount out there. And the ones after that are usually like five seconds. Okay. So, yeah, then I will I will scatter the times on those feeders so that we can set our alarm clocks and watches. <laughs> and we can be at all these we can be at all these different feeders for a half hour at a clip. Yeah, oh, okay. Bounce around. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, they're set up for different winds, but that, you know, we can stalk in on these feeders. You know, if one's not showing any hogs, we can just keep moving around and keep checking them and checking them, and it makes for a really fun night hunt of like spot and stalk. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, that that actually sounds like a really good strategy. That way, like you said, they can't circle downwind of you already being there. Um, yeah, you're you're yeah, stalking in when more. when they're there, yeah. flipping the script yeah, on them. Way more success stalking them after they're already on that feeder than trying to sit there and let them come in because I, I found you and they know. Like just, these animals in the dark, let's say you'll, you'll hunt there, you'll walk around. They, they do smell human scent and they're very cagey around a, a blind or a trail where you walk. And so, like, I think that at night they're coming in and investigating all this and, they're, and they can smell where there's a dominant amount of scent. And I think I'm sure they're smart enough to figure out that's probably where there's a human sitting, hunting, or just being. And so for those reasons before, you know, when they're on their way to come into that that, that date, they're going to circle and win that, you know, for whatever reason of why they think that's unsafe. Obviously, it's because it's human scent. But uh, I right. think that that's why it's huge to stalk in on them once they're already there and not leave scent around that feeder initially. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I know a lot of people, they, as, like, mentioned for deer and stuff, is that they almost can, they know how long a scent has been on the ground. Like, some of them yeah, can come I up did. there and go, oh, well, that was two hours ago, or just, like, whatever, or that was six hours ago, and maybe that's yeah. why they came in more comfortable than than not come in. Um, I think that's pretty yeah, neat, that's, and yeah. I know hogs, like I said, they got that snout on them, and I've heard they can even smell stuff almost to what like 10 feet underground or something uh when they're rooting. yeah they're, they're set to smell super strong if i'm a huge advocate of rubber boots rubber okay. knee-high boots and then and then spraying down your you know that so you're not leaving the scent it's like us when we smell skunk you know it's, it's that age-old comparison you smell skunk and it just sprayed and you're like oh man i'm getting out of here it's bad it's skunk around and you're out but you know when that skunk odor is dissipated or it's a ways away we're like okay we smell it but we tolerate it you know and i think that when we spray it and use rubber boots do they smell a little bit maybe but i think that it's an amount at that point that has been so dialed down that they are willing to tolerate it and still come in and eat yeah no doubt well are there any specific tips that you could maybe give some of our listeners uh, of the show to make them more successful if they're out trying to uh, target hogs on their properties um something i found um, if you're, if you're getting, you know, if you, if you have your feeder going and you are getting like a big mature boar, right? You're like, Oh man, I want to shoot that big boar, but he's only coming in like really late at night, uh, crazy hours. Um, a huge factor in that is like similar to how a white tail when he shows up late at night. I think that if, uh, what, if a hog is showing up really late past when the feeder is throwing, it's because he's coming from a really long way away. You right. need to get closer to where he's bedding. Okay, it's the same thing with a whitetail. You know, they will, they will, they will, 
you know, or get closer to when you need them to be there, the closer you get to where they're staying. And I find that my hogs predominantly sleep near water, like creeks. They're staying in cool, shaded areas. Hogs don't sweat. That's why they need to wallow. Okay, they need to be wallowing all the time. And if you find that area where it's cool, low-lying land, where it's an area that's usually wet and murky and nasty and has cover, you know, during times when there's no other places that there are, um, you know, get tight on that as tight as you can where you're not going to blow them out and then start hunting that area. And you'll see you're going to get a lot of big boards that start showing up. Um, you know, they, they love, they love rubbing poles too, like pipelines. I have a power line right now that I'm hunting, uh, near like, uh, there's a really big boar I'm hunting right now. He's over 300 pounds. He's got a big flop ear on one side. It's torn. He loves to rub this telephone pole. There's a big amount of water and mud at the base of it just cause it's, it's a little low. I have video trail cam video of him on my wild game camera, just rubbing that, going crazy on that. And he, sh- he hits that really early in the night, which tells me he's, bedding really close by and so once i moved the feeder over close to that area boom i started getting him at like nine o'clock ten o'clock whereas i used to get him like 12 one o'clock in the morning and other bigger boars started popping up so that's just something you need to think about you know you need to make sure also you set it up in an area where that you can actually access it set it up somewhere where you're going to have an, some kind of advantage to stalk in on that feeder and kill him don't put it in, in an area where it's absolutely impenetrable, where he's comfortable feeding and you can never get in on him and kill him because you're just wasting your time, you know. If the, if the deck is stacked too much in his favor, you won't kill him. But if it's stacked too much in yours, he might not even show up, you know. He, he needs to think he's got some kind of an advantage, uh, but you need to make sure you have it just enough where, yeah, he's going to show up, but you're going to be able to kill him. You know what I'm saying? Like, I say that for white tail too. Like, right. anytime you hunt a big white tail and you have too much of a win advantage, you know, you're probably not going to see that big deer because why would he show up when you have all that advantage? You know, he's going to work it in such a way where he, you know, where he he can smell and feel safe coming in. You need to have the wind advantage, but just barely. And this is something I teach for whitetails also. Yeah, it seems like, say, any type of, uh, like, mature animal, you've, you've yeah. got to think outside the box and definitely mm-hmm. think about your access, your your dead on on that because i used to like i said i'd catch all these pictures of deer or whatever i was chasing after and it took me a while to figure i was like and never see him while you're hunting you're like man i wonder why i'm not seeing this animal and that finally kind of hit me i was like well maybe it's how i'm coming in maybe i'm alerting them well before i even get to this spot that hey i'm here and they just never come in and then they show up whatever six to eight hours later and they're on your camera again going ha ha i won that one yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, hunting, a, like I said, I, we've killed so many of our mature animals on a marginal wind where we had the advantage just barely um, over the winds where we are, like, totally foolproof, you know, they can't get behind. That's all those things, you know, like, uh, can they be killed that way? Yeah, but, man, just the, the, the animals that have been hunted, um, whitetails, bears, hogs, all that stuff, like, when we had the advantage but just barely and it was marginal, we've killed and seen them way more. Well, that makes sense. That's, that's my tip on that. I would just say don't be afraid to hunt a win where you're like, eh, on the fence of it, you know, just adapt where you're going to sit for that. Well, those are some, uh, those are definitely some good tips uh, for the listeners to uh, apply uh, while they're out hog hunting. Well, Craig, with this podcast, we like to celebrate stories behind the hunt. You don't mind. Could you give the listeners a story about your favorite hog hunt? Sure. I have to refer back to probably one of my, the biggest hogs I ever shot was last year and i kind of touched on it a little bit uh without meeting too earlier um i was hunting this really large boar big russian you know big shoulder cavity big tusk on him versus a trophy you know and uh, he uh he was coming into the state site um between a pond and a huge uh hillside it was almost like a mountain he was just working the drainage all the way up and he was coming in every night at like 9 30 10 o'clock you know and i was like oh, you know we're gonna kill him we're gonna get on we're gonna get on him and I had one of my, uh, one of my friends film me, uh, trying to kill him. And, you know, multiple nights in a row, he just wouldn't show. I would go in there at like 8.30 at night until 11.30 and he would never show. And then the, the nights after that, that I didn't sit, boom, right back on it. And I just was trying to figure out, man, like, what's he doing? You know, like, how's he figured, how is he, why is he not coming in? I have a good wind. I have all these things going for me, you know? And, and uh, this huge mountain side on the opposite side of it was all mud, right? And there was, it dropped down into an area that was muddy, and, you know, you could see tracks and stuff. So what I did was I walked the edge of it on the hill, and I could see big hoof tracks. And I followed him, and sure enough, he was just, he was downwinding me, like, um, 
and standing in an area that you would not think an animal would go because there's no cover or anything, but he was working it in the dark and he's standing where he could downwind me and have the advantage every time, you know, um, and you could see where he would walk up, put on the brakes and turn around and walk back, you know, and that's what he did. You know, he had, it was crazy to me. So I was like, okay, I tell you, you're going to play it. I'm going to come in at 11 o'clock and I'm going to be on you when you're there. And sure enough, the first time I did that, I stuck in on my bow and I got like 50 yards out. And I didn't have a light on the feeder at this time. I just shined it with my hand. I had a green light, and I looked, and I seen his eyes there. And I, he was on his back legs, ripping the motor off my feeder, and he was emptying the whole thing. And he was still body rolling it, trying to get the extra corn out onto the ground. And he was so distracted that I was able to sneak up on, onto him about 30 yards from my bow. And he was quartering away really hard, and I, I drove that I drove that shaft deep in there, and uh, he piled up within 100 yards. And uh, I didn't know quite how big he was until I got up to him, and he was just too big for me to even try and drag up into the player as I'd use a uh, hand crank uh, winch device to get him up. And uh, we took some pictures, you know. Um, it was crazy. He was huge. He was way longer than I was. I'm <laughs> six foot, two forty, and uh, you know he was over three hundred pounds, just a beast. Um, I could, I never actually got an exact weight on him, but he was absolutely massive. Um, I, I'll, I'll share those pictures with you, but he's huge. Yeah, I'd love to see him. Yeah, March, April are seem to be the two best months out of the year from from my experience to hunt big mature boars. They just come to these feeders, they move, they're breeding. I don't know what it is. I mean, I know they breed multiple times a year, but just March and April these last few years just been dynamite we're actually seeing them move it's nice and cool out there's green stuff starting to grow i don't know what it is they just it just moves better than any other month in the year yeah i've kind of heard sometimes that hogs can kind of get like on a circular pattern where they'll like show up to specific areas sometimes like certain times of the year i know there was a hog on one of my properties that likes to show up on the property july august and kind of leaves around september which is perfect because that's when deer season starts so i don't have to uh uh, worry about him being on there i'd love to take him but like i said he's one of those ones like you said that kind of shows up at midnight two o'clock in the morning every time and you're like well he's probably not he may not even be on the property um i don't know it's a nice 500 acre piece but he he could be anywhere yeah they cover ground I've, i've seen that yeah, they cover some ground and miles apart. Now, you know, these boars are super territorial, too, and they're just constantly covering ground, looking for food, working creek bottoms. I've seen them run creeks for miles, trying to find sows and heat and new food sources. So. Well, uh, Walter wanted me to ask you one specific question. <laughs> he wanted to know, is everything really bigger in Texas? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, the biggest thing is, is the pride for the state. I've never met as many people who are so proud to tell you they're from Texas. And, uh, you know, there's so much, so many things that are good here. The cost of living is better here. People are friendlier. Um, I don't know. It's just I see why now that I'm here and I've moved here, I'm a resident, and I see why everyone loves it so much. Um, there's just so much pride and culture here, and it's with good reason. Well, that was actually a good answer. <laughs> well, Craig, uh, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Uh, I mean, I learned a lot, and it seems like you're kind of a wealth of information, and you're constantly learning new stuff yourself and adapting to try to be able to take some of uh, these big boars that you got on camera. And uh, I wish you all the luck taking these uh, big boars. And, heck, you're welcome to come back on the podcast anytime. I'd, I'd love to have you back on the podcast when you shoot that giant 140-inch buck that you're going to shoot uh, this upcoming fall, and you can come tell everybody the story about that. Oh, uh, for sure. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'd love to come back on and talk to, about whitetails or black bears or anything. You know, I just uh, I enjoy sharing just like what I've seen and what I've learned over, you know, making mistakes and, and you know, and then, you know, correcting those mistakes and becoming successful. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Like I said, you, you were a great guest. Before we go, why don't you tell the listeners where they might uh, find you on your uh, social media platforms or YouTube channel or anything you got going on? Sure. So we, uh, a lot of our content is a lot, a lot, a lot of the kind of synergy uh, uh, pages on Facebook, uh, social media. So if you look at any of those brands, you know, like your Bloodport, Ameris, Death Tenzing, Bornet, Wagon Innovations, Evolve, any of those, you know, Halo, um, we're going to be on there a lot. Um, but our personal pages, my wife and I, we both hunt and travel together. And uh, mine is, uh, you know, Instagram is a lot of where we post stuff uh, outside of Facebook. And our personal pages are so Craig underscore Meyer underscore Hunt. That's the same thing for Julia, you know, Julia underscore Meyer. Meyer underscore hunt. So Craig Meyer and Julie Meyer hunt. We're, we're very active on our pages there and posting stuff uh, all the time. 
uh, outside of all the other you know brands and companies that we partner with and help us be successful. So there's a lot of stuff on YouTube as well. There's some older stuff. Uh, we have a lot of stuff on Vimeo. Um, like I said, there's stuff all over the place. Uh, a lot of the outfitters and, and uh, you know friends that we have in the Midwest and, and West, uh, they post a lot of our stuff too. So um, yeah, it's just like I said, happy to help anybody be successful and answer questions if it comes to targeting a certain animal. Don't be afraid to reach out. You know we're, we're really busy, but you know obviously we'll answer and help out anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, we uh, we appreciate that, and we definitely said we we really appreciate you coming on this show. Um, if you could stay on the line for a moment uh, while I close this out. I want to chat with you sure. just a little bit more. Well, guys, I hope you found this podcast as informative as I did. And if you like what you heard and haven't hit the subscribe button, make sure you do. Make sure you leave us a review on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on. I encourage you all to go out, create some tales of your own, and keep pursuing whatever your outdoor passions are. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode.